everyone. Welcome back to The Extras. My name is Jack. I'm Peter. Good to be with you here today, Peter, and good to be with all of you listening as we get back to another week of wrestling with the Bible, getting into your questions, thinking deeper into the kinds of things that we are seeing come out of God's Word. We love this time. We love that so many of you out there are keen to engage and, and reading the Bible hard and bringing all sorts of curious, interesting questions to it because we love getting the chance to talk them through. Uh, Peter, as we get into questions today, give us a, a recap of where we've been for, for those of us who want to remind her what were we looking at in the Bible last Sunday. Yes, we're working our way through Genesis, of course, our last, uh, the final series, as uh, I think That's you right. said, final series in this long-running epic. And uh, we've had um, episode one, Joseph has some dreams that he mm. will uh, reign supreme over his brothers, but they didn't like that much. He's been sold into slavery in Egypt. And then last week, episode two of this series, we were looking at what happened to Joseph in Egypt. He, uh, The Lord is with him, we hear. He experiences mm. blessings of various kinds. We see him on the rise uh, in different situations, but also <laughs> falling terribly down and uh, threatened by even despair at his circumstance. But finally, we see him uh, lifted up. He becomes the uh, administrator over Egypt. And uh, we've got some tantalizing hints about why God might have brought him to that place. Yeah, it's a, it's a real roller coaster ride. Like, you really feel that up and down and up and down as we work through this part of God's story in Joseph's life where you're not always sure exactly what's going on. I'm sure he wasn't sure either. Um, mm. We've got lots of questions thinking about how do we deal with being in the being in the mess and, and not knowing what God's doing, all those sorts of things. We'll get to those in a moment. Um, our first question today is a help one to just help us get back into this series as a whole. This goes back to a couple of weeks ago. Someone's texted in, Peter, about your sermon on Genesis 37, so two Sundays ago. Uh, you mentioned God is a God who will die before he lets his dream die. And you mentioned Jesus as well. Uh, this person says, that'll sound like a bit of a riddle. What is God's dream? Uh, how is Joseph related to that? Yeah, I appreciate the question for the chance to clarify. I was perhaps being a little bit elliptical here, so good for a uh, good to have a chance to spill that out a little bit more. So dreams are super important in the Joseph story. Lots of mm. dreams, in fact, pairs of dreams again and again. Yeah, uh, and I've uh, been using the language of God's dream, God's big dream. Uh, now the Bible doesn't use that language, but uh, Joseph's dreams that he has are bound up with God's purpose for his world, the purpose which is revealed in creation uh, for human beings to exist in a blessed relationship with him and in peace with one another and with all the creation. That purpose that God reveals in creation is then badly disrupted, almost destroyed at the fall. And uh, God then reaffirms his commitment to that vision of human flourishing, that vision of blessing God, blessing his people blessing the world through them, uh, reiterated, reaffirmed, reestablished in the promises to Abraham mm. in Genesis 12. So I've been using the language of God's dream for that, this yeah. dream of bringing back blessing to a broken world. And Joseph's dreams and God's dream are, are bound up together in ways that are gradually becoming clearer to us, but take a, a while to develop through the story. Yes, yeah, so using that as sort of a shorthand for God's plan, God's promises, God's purpose, like all of that wrapped up in dream is kind of the vision of where we're going. Like this is the, the, the way God pictures the future, if you like. That's the future we're headed to. That's right. Yeah. And we keep seeing again and again in this story that that's God's future. But mm. in the present, sin is always threatening to choke the life out of the dream. So um, sin is just endemic in 
Abraham's family, generation after generation, all kinds of awful sin, seems ready to, to uh, snap the line of Abraham's family, mm. uh, stop the seed from coming. And uh, you know, we know later on in the big Bible story that as Abraham's family becomes the nation of Israel, sin remains endemic in Israel as well. They just can't quit it. And yeah. so finally they go into exile and it really looks like the whole promise, the whole plan is, is really on the rocks. Um, but we know, of course, from the New Testament that God is not prepared to abandon his purpose. God is not prepared to let sin destroy his purposes for the creation. Mm. Uh, God is so committed to those purposes that God himself becomes a human being. Uh, God becomes incarnate. And so at the climax of his salvation plan, God, as a man, dies for our sins. Uh, and so this is what I mean uh, what I was kind of alluding to, saying God will die before he lets the dream die. Mm. Uh, God himself, the eternal son, in the person of Jesus Christ, experiences death so that the dream won't die, so that salvation, yeah. blessing, can come back. This is why Jesus died and rose again, to fulfill the promises God made to Abraham and to restore the creation. Uh, so all of that is what I was trying to get at yeah, yeah. <laughs> with that sentence. Yeah, and I think it's a really beautiful way of putting it, yeah, that God will die before he lets the dream die. Like, I think that's, yeah, that's such an evocative way to, to sum it up. Uh, but hopefully that's helpful for you listeners to hear that unpacked a, a little a little more explicitly, um, if you like it like that too. Um, thank you, Peter. Um, coming on to this person, has a second part of their question. Um, this, they said, I'd appreciate an explanation for the word providence. Thank you. Thanks in advance, perhaps, yeah. What's what's providence? That's the other kind of part of the title of this series, Promises and Providence. What's that word getting at? Yeah, providence, I guess it's a bit of an old-timey word. We might not use that word too much anymore. Mm. Um, but it has. A, I think that's a loss. Like, I think we've got to bring it back. It's a, there's lots of goodness in that word. But anyway, yeah, sorry, keep going. Yeah, well, when mm. we've got it in the cemetery, we're bringing it back. <laughs> that's right. Um, yes, but it has it's taken on a particular meaning in the Christian theological tradition. And um, I think you had a great quote for us, didn't you, Jack? Yeah, so in my sermon of Genesis 37, I picked up um, the the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is one of our great sort of statements of these summaries of the biblical faith that comes out of the 1600s. Uh, that has a, I think, a really nice sort of um, like slightly poetic, like it sort of stirs my heart hearing it, but um, a good kind of compact summary of providence. I think you've got it there, Peter, to read. Yeah, let me read it out. It's, uh, it says, God, the great creator of all things doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. So in the style of kind of reformed theology of the 17th century, there's a lot packed into that sentence. Um, so maybe let's yeah, kind of recap that, unpack that a little bit. Um, I think one of the things that stands out hearing you read it again is providence is part of kind of the package of truths that come out of God as creator. Like God is the one who created this world. And that means he's also the one who continues to sustain this world. Like creation in the Bible is not this picture of sort of set and forget, like God winds up the cosmic clock and then just bails while it you know goes off and does it does a thing like no god as the creator is intimately involved in the ongoing governance of his world so he's still kind of there sustaining the world leading guiding overseeing what's happening in his world from mm. the big things right down to the detail like that's the other thing that i like in that um yes, that definition all, all things from the greatest even to the least yeah like massive kind of all-encompassing phrase like you know the big kind of picture of 
the rise and fall of kingdoms and the destiny of uh, our, our race down to, um, you know, what happens on on your plate, you know, what do you have for breakfast each yeah, morning? Like just to whether, whether a sparrow falls or not. Yeah, that's a more biblical way to put it. Yeah, nice. What else from there is worth um, recapping? Yeah, uh, well, um, that it happens according to his uh, foreknowledge, so God mm. knows what will happen. But, but more than that, uh, that it happens that God steers events in accordance with his purposes, that God mm. has a plan, and this is the kind of the overarching frame for providence, that God has plans and purposes, like we were talking about, for his creation. And it's not just that God kind of meddles with a few bits and pieces here and there, but actually God works the whole. Everything that happens, God uh, sovereignly oversees and superintends for the sake of his purposes, which he's decided in eternity and is working out in time for the salvation of the world through Jesus. Yeah, and so this is a word that like captures sort of the real big picture, like, you know, the dream, capital D dream, as you kind of explained for us, like the whole sum of what God's doing. Uh, it is a word that I think we also see emerge, and sort of like a, a part of that story is what's going on through Jacob's family in Genesis. Um, and the reason why I've called the series Promises and Providence is because I think this part of the, the Bible in particular, you really see how God's guiding hand is involved in driving all things, not just kind of anywhere abstractly but towards the promises he said like towards these promises to save and to bless and to bring blessing back to the world what we're seeing emerge is that these things that happen in joseph's life like they're not just these chance coincidences like god is the one who's directing these things for a purpose and we start to see that little by little like in in the passage we've seen just this sunday you see all these things going on in joseph's life like you know getting imprisoned and getting forgotten like all these things that just seem like incidental things by the end you see you know god has been directing this thing and it lands with joseph as the governor of Egypt, ready to save the world, but that's not like he didn't get there straightforwardly. Like God's been sort of guiding through these seemingly indirect, coincidental sort of things, but we know they're not coincidences because God is working out His dream, as you've said. Yeah, I think you really helpfully brought out for us, Jack, in Genesis thirty-seven, the amount of weird little coincidences that mm. kind of fall together. And I wonder if our author is in fact highlighting um, life feels to us always very much like. A string of random happenings you know if things hadn't fallen together in a certain way you know I never would have met my mm. wife or fallen yeah. into this job or or whatever it is and that's certainly how we experience it and our great theologians in fact talk about providence this way we experience mm. the future as open and unknown to us and we have to live that way we we can't live as if we know what's going to happen because we just don't not in detail mm. um, but uh, as Genesis points out this uh, open, swirling, uncertain ex- world that we experience is actually uh, for God overseen for a certain purpose, which ultimately, as as the quote brings out, is the praise of His wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. And mm. and when we finally at the end see what God was taking it all to on the day Jesus returns and the church bows its knee to Him, uh, what will ring out? is praise that God is so good, so powerful, so wise to have arranged things like this. Yeah, amen, absolutely. Bring it on, hey, it's been on that day. Yeah, there's providence, little snapshot for you. Hope that starts to flesh out the kinds of things we're trying to see. Big picture, but also emerging out of Genesis. Let's come into Genesis 39 to 41 particularly, which is what we're looking at last Sunday. Uh, Here we see all sorts of different people 
you get these notes throughout that, you know, um, whatever Joseph did, kind of God's blessing goes with him, like in Potiphar's house and then in the, even in the prison. Um, someone's asked, is Joseph ever said to be blessed or is it only the things he touches? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I like that it shows whoever wrote this in is obviously reading very carefully, which of course is the key to unlocking um, so much of the goodness that we have in Scripture. Mm. Uh, no, he's not said to be blessed. We are told that the Lord was with him. We're told that a few times. We're told that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, yeah. which amounts, I think, more or less to blessing. Mm. But that language of blessing is reserved for, for example, in chapter 39, verse 5, uh, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had. And I wonder if what's going on there is if this is a little bit of a callback uh, to that famous passage about blessing, Genesis chapter 12, 1 mm. to 3, where God tells Abram, not only am I going to bless you, but all the earth will be blessed through you. All the families of the earth will be mm. blessed through you. And of course, that's what our narrative is building up to. Yeah, I think that's that's well put. So um, I think you, when you turned before, you put it nicely that perhaps the the writer is kind of reserving that language of blessing not for Joseph, but for the Egyptians through whom uh, whom Joseph, you know, through whom through him they are blessed. Like it's, it's explicitly kind of focusing. Oh, it's not even just Abraham's family here. This is the outsiders, the the ones outside this promised line. They're the ones who are blessed through what happens to Joseph. Um, I mean, another thing that came to mind is uh, at the end of chapter 41, at the end of our passage, um, you get uh, Joseph has these two sons uh, by um, this Egyptian woman, and they're given really significant names. Like, we've seen all throughout Genesis, like, names are always very significant, but Joseph's sons have really significant names. He calls his firstborn Manasseh because God made him forget all about his trouble and all his father's household. Uh, that's quite interesting. We're gonna what, a, see, what a poignant thing to say. Yeah, you know, I forgot my trouble and I've forgotten, you know, my family are dead to me. It's almost like he says. Yes. Um, but yeah. of course, just even calling his kid, that means he hasn't forgotten. That's very much <laughs> on his mind. That's right. Yeah, very interesting. Um, but the second son, Ephraim, uh, he's called that because God has made Joseph fruitful in the land of his suffering. And um, Ephraim kind of means like fruitful times too, like double fruit. Um, so you see that like that fruitful word is maybe the closest thing you get that as Joseph looks back, he, he says, like, I, you know, it was the land of my suffering, and yet I've, you know, God has borne fruit from that. Like, something has flowered, something is, is growing. You can see how Joseph has gotten to where God wants him to be, um, though it was hard. Yeah, and if you want to go back and trace, trace that language of fruitful through Genesis and see where it is, and, and fruitful is how God talks about his initial blessing to the creation, be fruitful and mm. multiply and spread over the face of the earth. And then when he uh, reassures Noah that blessing isn't over, he says, be fruitful. And when he says to Abram, you know, I'm going to work through your family, he says, I'm going to make you fruitful. Yeah. And so that fruitful language is strongly bound up with blessing right through the storyline. Yeah, nice one. Good question, though. Glad to talk about that for a bit. Let's come and talk about dreams. So someone, you already mentioned, Peter, that dreams, big, you know, double dreams, big theme of this whole section. Yeah, I had one where I was, you know, running away from this dog and it was just nipping at my heels. And <laughs> is that another kind of dream talk we're going to do? Um, look, if you've got one you want to share, I, I don't claim to have the gift of interpretation. Um, okay, but right. if, you, if you want to shoot, that's fine. Um, the question, though, someone's asked, uh, does God still use dreams to reveal the future to people? What does being post-Jesus mean? Everything has already been revealed that we need to know. Mm. Yeah, uh, well, Hebrews 1 says something pretty uh, important about uh, God's 
revelation to us, right? Yes, thank you for giving me time to flick, or well, you tried to. I'm just looking too slow. Trying to say that very Trying to stall for me. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Um, Hebrews one verse one. Uh, one of these real kind of gold purple passages, you know, memory verse material. Um, so helpful for understanding how God has revealed Himself to us. Hebrews one one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days. He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So you see there this picture that, well, firstly, God has revealed himself in different ways. Like, it's not like God's revelation is this linear, just it's only ever one way that God tells people what he wants and what he's on about. Um, mm-hmm. Even in Genesis, you kind of see there's a, there's a change. I think we might have mentioned this last week, but um, you see at the beginning, you know, God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden, you know chatting away face-to-face, we assume. Um, Post-fall, it's more removed. God speaks to Abraham directly. Like, some of you will remember a few years ago, you know, Genesis 18, there's this weird and wonderful passage where, you know, three strangers rock up at Abraham's tent and one of them turns out to be God, you know, whatever that means. Um, Then you kind of see, at points, God speaks through visions. At points, God speaks through dreams. So you see, even in Genesis, there's this various kinds, various ways that God reveals what he wants to say. Through an unburning bush. Yeah, exactly. To the prophets, the word of the Lord came, lots of different ways. That's right. Um, and the point of the writer of Hebrews is there's something climactic about Jesus, that Jesus is part of that story of God revealing himself and revealing who he is and revealing the dream, if you like. Um, uh, and there's this finality to it. In these last days, God has spoken by our Lord, by our Lord Jesus. He is kind of God's final word, if you like. He's the, the climax of God's revelation. And so that means what we kind of take as we think about you know life today everything that god really needs us to know he has said uh he's he's said it in christ and through jesus as jesus is the one who appointed his apostles to go and write the scriptures as the kind of continuing record and you know ever speaking word that preaches christ to us um god has said the things we need to know um so i mean like that's helpful as we come to think about the question itself so dreams today like with that all in mind, you know, if Jesus is the last word from God, what do we make of the place of dreams today, say? Yeah. So, well, I think it's, it's probably, uh, it's, it's critical for us to know that God's uh, fullest and final revelation is Jesus. As, as Scripture says, that's how God supplies us with everything we need for life mm. and godliness. Um, God is free to do what he likes. Yeah. Uh, and I personally have never had a dream from God or heard the voice of God um, you know sometimes you you hear stories about the Lord using I guess um, kind of uh, off-piste kinds of ways to, mm. to draw people to himself and you do sometimes hear particularly um, you, you, you hear sometimes about people who live in uh, Muslim countries where um, access to the Bible is very difficult to mm. get sometimes we'll have a dream where they're instructed to seek out Issa or that Somebody will be able to tell them about Issa, of course, is Jesus. Hmm. Um, and uh, that gives us not so much about the future. And really the point is that it centers on Jesus, that if, you know, uh, Jesus is the one we must seek out if we want to know uh, who God is, who we are, what we must do to be saved. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that some of the things that, you know, an area where it might be important to be cautious in this is, someone ever comes to you and says you know i had a dream and god told me that you need to do this or that um 
what are you to make of that? Like, I don't think that's impossible. Um, but that kind of thing is, you know, that, that's definitely a word to be tested. Um, mm. Scripture is the authority over any other kinds of, you know, I think, I think God does have his ongoing work of giving us impressions, if you like. And, um, you know, God, through his spirit, gives us prophetic insight into, um, you know, how we might particularly need to hear the word of God kind of address to our situation the particulars all that is kind of important but like scripture is the thing that stands as the authoritative objective revelation that points us to christ and so that's the thing we test uh everything else by yeah really important and and um you know so tragically this can sometimes be a way that people seek to exercise spiritual control Mm. over others saying i've had a revelation uh from god perhaps a dream perhaps something else and and like you said you need to do what i say Mm. and um, if someone requires us to act contrary to scripture, uh, if you know, particularly if someone is uh, asking us to um, excuse behavior which is, which is clearly uh, not in accordance with how God wants us to live, if they say, well, I had a revelation that I'm beyond that, run a mile. That's not mm. true. That's not what the Bible says. Yeah. Uh, and if, if someone claims to have had a revelation to be requiring us to do something that God doesn't require of us in the scriptures, I think we want to be very, very careful and weigh that request very, very carefully. Yeah, well said. Very important. All right. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure there's lots more that you might like to ask about dreams. If you have other questions, feel free to send them in. We can tackle them next time. Uh, We're moving on. Uh, The last chunk of questions we have quite rightly are about suffering, which is something that we certainly see a lot of in Joseph's life and something that we see plenty of in our world today. So rather those questions as we grapple with this. Someone texted in, how should we think about the two years that Joseph spends in prison for doing what is right? Is God being faithful to Joseph in those two years? Two years is a super long time. What should we do when we feel like we are stuck in bad circumstances like Joseph is? Yeah. I mean, it's... It is a long time, and mm. I think actually our author wants us to really feel that. So um, Genesis 39 to 41 kind of unfolds in three scenes, three places that Joseph is. And uh, at the start of scene one, we're told the Lord was with him. At the start of scene two, we're told the Lord was with him. At the start of scene three, we're not told that. We're told it had been two years. Mm. And I think we're supposed to feel exactly that question. Is the Lord still with him? He's suffering he's yeah. in the pit he's forgotten is the lord still with him that's the question that we have to ask now it emerges of course that yes the lord is with him in fact the lord has put him in just the place ready for just the situation that will see him elevated to uh, an incredible position mm. uh, which is going to um, be crucial in in preserving and progressing god's plans but joseph doesn't know any of that yeah. at the time he spends a long time not knowing so i think it's important to say that god's what we have here is a picture of god being faithful but joseph needing to wait a really long time to see how Mm. yeah and i think that's that's exactly the sort of challenge that these passages help us with in a sense like when you are in the midst of bad circumstances like this question hits at like if you judge um sort of god's presence with you by how things are going then at times that's going to be a pretty dark conclusion like if you know if if you know things are going well god's with me if they're not he must not be with me um i think the point that we're seeing in genesis is like god is with him even as things are like unraveling and like so long that as you said like kind of the question gets raised um but 
the fact that we are in the darkness does not mean that God has abandoned us. Um, I think this, in this kind of connection, like the book of Job is like one massive wrestle with this whole question, if you like. You know, Job is this upright and blameless man and everything gets taken away from him even though he's done nothing wrong. And the whole point of the book of Job is that he has done nothing wrong. Like, it's not like he's justly punished. It's there's this whole, you know, there's the wager between God and his adversary. And there's all, you know, Job doesn't know any of that. Like, he's just sitting there like, God, what is going on? Where are you? Why is this happening? And uh, it's that kind of the life of faith sometimes is that wrestle. That, like, as we stand there in the darkness, you're like, God, where are you? It just seems like you're nowhere. In many ways, I guess the whole point of the Bible is that in those moments God hasn't abandoned us like we, we can't always judge things by how the circumstances look because God is with us even when circumstances don't look good and you know for Christians we have the promise that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ he gives us his spirit so God is literally with us mm. by his spirit and this is the point that Romans 5 makes hope doesn't put us to shame because of the spirit, the token, the down payment of the new creation who's with us even now. Mm. And as Christians, in a sense, we do know how the story ends. Joseph yeah. doesn't know how it's going to go. And we don't know in detail how it's going to go either. But what we do know is the voice of Jesus saying, Behold, I'm coming soon. We know how it ends. It ends with Christ's victory, the banishment of evil, the restoration of all things the praise of saints in a new world and that's how it finishes and we don't know the way from here to there but we do know where we're going yeah and that's that's crucial yeah that does make a difference we'll keep pressing into this theme uh someone's asked what is it about suffering that makes joseph into a wise and discerning man what can suffering teach us that the highs in life cannot yeah um yeah interesting question uh Precisely what is it about Joseph's suffering that makes him wise and discerning? I don't think we're told exactly. Mm. We, we're, we don't have that process spelled out for us in so many words. Um, in a sense, we all learn from our mistakes, don't we? That's just mm. a human thing. You, yeah. you do something wrong, you probably suffer the consequences, and that's part of what helps you to mature as a person. And something like that seems to be happening for Joseph. Uh, you wouldn't call him wise and discerning uh, as as a 17-year-old youth. Uh, mm. In fact, lots of the terrible things that happened to him happened, in a sense, because of his own behaviour, because of the way he comports himself with his brothers, um, because of the way he goes about sharing his dreams with them. And then uh, we find, you know, some years later, he is a wise and discerning man. And um, it's interesting if you kind of track, you can kind of track his growth um, in a way through the way that he uses his words mm. so the young Joseph uses his words to worsen his family divisions and um, the best you could possibly say for him is that he's uh, he uses them cluelessly yeah. without much emotional intelligence um, yeah yeah <laughs> he, he, he provokes this awful response he's like you're never going to believe this dream I had guys it was great yeah and they're just there grinding their teeth yeah like, that's right yeah uh, worst case scenario he's rubbing it in their faces mm. um, but uh, we gradually see him um, you know, still struggle to get a good outcome from his words. So he doesn't manage to uh, he doesn't manage to defuse the situation with Potiphar's wife, mm. and he doesn't manage. Although he tries, he doesn't manage to get the cupbearer to help him. 
Um, but he does finally show himself a master of speech uh, on the day he stands before Pharaoh. He kind of lays out this detailed plan and says, well, you've got to find a wise, discerning man to carry it out. Who could that possibly be? Who could it be? <laughs> Pharaoh. Yeah. Well, no one's so wise and discerning as you. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, you can kind of track his growth uh, that way. Now, mm. what exactly about the experiences has helped him to grow? We can sort of guess that it's got to do with the mistakes that he's made. Um, but that, you know, that seems to be, it seems to be something there. Yeah. And yeah, I think you're right that we don't get given like the exact mechanism that by that, by which that works, which I think is, um, like maybe that's part of the kind of point of the way the story is written as well. Like, um, we're invited to contemplate our own experience in light of this work that we, we see the start point and the end point and a couple of points along the way. And we see that God has grown him. Um, and we know that in our lives, like that happens in all sorts of ways. I mean, that's the way, the way the question puts it. Like, you know, why is it particularly, you know, why is it that you can learn these things in suffering that you can't in the highs? Um, I think part of the picture is that it's when we're, driven to like you know to the end of ourselves that's when we have no choice but to rely on god so i think there's something about you know if faith is a muscle then it's those moments where we just can't possibly stand on our own two feet we have no choice but to cast ourselves on on god and his mercy and know that um relying on like faith is reliance and dependence like when life is good it's possible that you can just stroll through life thinking that you know you you stand on your own two feet and you don't need god it's i think part of why suffering teaches us so much is because we have no choice but to cast ourselves on God's mercy so it's kind of like faith is like your legs are swept out from under you and you've got no point to just cling onto the rope like that's all you can do um so that's part of how faith grows like relying on God because we have to I think that's part of the picture yeah there's something about you can know that you need God that you survive only by his grace and that you're dependent on him utterly for everything you have um, you can be told all those things and understand them and agree to them, but it's different than experiencing those things, mm. having those things brought home vividly to you by circumstances. Uh, when you have nothing and cast yourself on God and find Him sufficient, and you learn what His grace and sustenance means in a new way, in a way that's uh, true not only in our intellect, but true in experience. Uh, and, um, you know, I sort of hesitate to say this, knowing that many who are listening will have had a, a, a more vivid and harrowing experience of personal suffering than I've had in my life. But my hunch is that, that many of us here could testify that in low times, those were the times where trust in God really grew. Mm because it had to because there was nothing else yeah um our last question maybe like helps us see the stakes in this as well um what if suffering leads us further away from god and not towards the romans 5 kind of transformation uh does that mean we are bad christians or that we're a failure i might just read romans 5 again so we have a sense of that um so paul talked about this chain of boasting and glory um we boast in the hope of the glory of god not only so but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So you see there that chain of suffering, perseverance, character, hope. This person's asking, what if suffering drives us the other way? Yeah, and it's a, it's a really good question. 
Um, I do want to pick up on some of the language there and kind of get at the thinking underneath it. So it says, does that mean we're bad Christians or a failure? And I kind of want to say, being a failure is how you get to be a Christian. Mm. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. You, you get to be a Christian by saying, there's nothing in me that is worthy of God's favor. I cast myself wholly on Jesus for mercy without reservation and just plead God's grace. Yeah. There are only bad <laughs> Christians. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a way to put it. If you, if you think that you're the good Christian, then congratulations. You are Jesus. There's only, there's only one who is good, and yeah, it's not, it's not me. So, yeah. Yeah, I think Jesus is worth it. You know, haven't come to call the... Uh, the righteous but sinners, you know, hasn't come for it's not the healthy you need a doctor, it's the sick. Like that's all of us. We all come broken failures who are bad. Like yeah. Yeah. So God God doesn't have, you know, a bunch of kind of the 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 really you know strong members of the squad who are really, you know, kicking all the goals and really excellent and then have a few who are the, the weak ones, the you know the power the powerless ones, the ones that not much chop. Yeah. Uh everybody's in that category yeah. you know that's what paul says to the corinthians how many of you were <laughs> strong and and wise yeah not too many mm. uh, but god chose the weak and the foolish things to shame the strong yeah so all of that to say that the idea of performing well as a christian um although you know there's a kind of we want to be doing we want to be doing well in the christian life but it can become antithetical to the gospel if we start to um, measure our spiritual performance because that's not how God looks at us. Yeah, that's really helpful. That's a kind of key sort of line stand to draw. I mean, drilling into this question more, uh, I take it there's a real risk here. Like, I think that many of us listening probably will know that, like, sometimes it seems like suffering can be the thing that seems to push someone off the edge, that someone who was uh, faithful seemed, seemed to profess faith in Christ and then... The horrific experience of suffering can be something that seems to drive someone away so that they no longer call on Jesus as Lord because, you know, how well it'll say, you know, how could a loving God let that kind of thing happen? Um, to some, like, suffering does really seem to be a thing that drives them from God. Like, what do we make of that? Yeah, and I think, I think that's really true, and that's why I appreciate having received this question. Uh, suffering uh, is a real test for mm. our faith. To, to state the obvious, suffering is not good. Mm. And uh, I think it says in, in Hebrews, doesn't it? No, it doesn't seem pleasant to anybody at the time. Mm. And uh, in the deceitfulness of sin, that, that awful experience of suffering, which um, the Bible never attempts to sugarcoat and sort of say like, oh, with, through some kind of mental jujitsu, you can just turn suffering into a blessed time if you can only just get your mind right about it. Mm. Uh, the Bible doesn't play those games. The Bible calls evil, evil. and yeah. says, what are those who try to do something else? Mm. Uh, but in those evil times, the, you know, the, in the deceitfulness of sin, like, like you were saying, you think, well, surely, surely if God loves me and thinks well of me, this wouldn't be happening to me. You know, perhaps... I'm not. I'm not performing well enough, or God loves somebody else but not me, or you know, maybe God's not there at all, and I'm in a, a blind universe and just the mercy of chance. And so, uh, these are some of the things that you know, some of the thoughts that are in play when we when we suffer. Yeah, and I think that like if you read those Romans five verses, don't assume that uh, this it's presented as this change of things that have this kind of 
cause and effect and effect and effect. Um, I don't think that's meant to show us that it's like automatic. Like just because you suffer as a Christian, you will therefore automatically, you know, get to hope. Like it's not, I think, meant to come across as this mechanistic thing because suffering does kind of confront us with a choice. Like, as you said, test is a good word for it. Like you kind of, in the midst of it, you can, um, again, I think of Job, like in the midst of Job's trials, his wife says to him, why are you still clinging on to God? Curse God and die. Like that's, that's kind of one choice. In the midst of the trial, you can kind of throw in the towel and say, I'm, I'm done with God, it's over. Or is this a, a time where, um, despite the, just the perplexity of, you know, we don't know why this is all happening at the, at the moment, um, in that just confusion and the dark night of the soul, um, do you flee from God or do you run to God at that point? Like, that's kind of the test. Like, in those moments, do we come to God and cry out, how long, O Lord? Like, why is this happening? Um, you know, the language of the Psalms is that language of confusion, but not a confusion that runs from God, but brings it to God. And God gives us the, the promises throughout the Bible that though we don't always know why, we know that, yes, He is with us. You know, yes, we know the future. We know that one day suffering will be done with. We know in the past, like, God knows what it's like. He's stepped into our shoes, and in Jesus, He knows exactly uh, the depths of um, what human suffering is like. We have all those kind of assurances that know that. Yes, there's every reason to be able to bring this to God and trust this God, even through those hard times. But that is still the test. That's the, the test that we're each kind of called to keep trusting in God and hanging on, even when it's hard. Yeah. And, you know, if we go through suffering with God, trusting God, as you say, when we've got nowhere else to turn, clinging to Him, uh, we might come through kind of punching the air, saying God's love is so deep, God is so faithful, God is so good, and... And I've really learned and experienced that in a new way. We might come through like that. We might not. Mm. You might you might come through shaken and limping, um, and that difficult experience may may continue to mark your faith for time to come. Uh, but perseverance is the work of the Holy Spirit. And mm. If we if we come through suffering trusting the lord still and that's what the holy spirit does we're trusting the lord still and 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 even that even that is something to be thankful to god for yeah and that is meant to be easy like if, if, if hearing this you know you are just well aware that you're in the absolute midst of the dungeon as joseph was so to speak then let me encourage you to reach out. Uh, if you're in a growth group, talk to your growth group leader. Um, yeah, reach out to one of us as one of the pastors. Like this is something that is only ever harder when we try to tackle it alone. But one of the blessings of being part of God's family is that we we have brothers and sisters to to walk alongside each other, shoulder to shoulder through these kinds of things. So yes, amen to that. Yeah, let me encourage you to to speak out. Lots that we've tackled there. Uh, great questions. Keep sending them in. We, we love uh, getting the chance to talk through them. Uh, Peter, as we get into the next chunk of Genesis on Sunday, where are we headed? Well, we have got a surprise reunion. We've got some deep emotions. We've got some tricky maneuvers. And we've got finally a glimpse of what God might have been working toward this whole time. How is that for a teaser? How could you possibly resist and stay away from yeah. that? Tune in this Sunday. <laughs> That's right, yeah. For the next episode in the final series of the Book of Genesis. Looking forward to seeing you then. God bless. Thank you. Bye.